Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Highway Community's weekly podcast. It's Julie Peterson here, and I am so glad that you're joining me today. Thank you for being here. Today, we're continuing on in our teaching series entitled Eyes to See. As we move through the summer, we're reflecting on stories that contain the words Jesus saw, and we're reflecting on who and what and the way in which Jesus saw as he walked among humanity. Jesus saw differently. He saw differently than others, and in fact, this unique way of seeing was inherent to the way that Jesus announced and demonstrated a new upside-down kingdom. It was inherent to the way he inaugurated God's kingdom, in which the last is first and the first is last. This new way of living and new way of being requires a new way of seeing. And so, as we move through this teaching series, we're learning from Jesus and considering what it looks like, in practical terms, to see like Him. And we're considering what Jesus' example means to us as Christ followers, who are called to be a part of the continued inbreaking of God's inverted kingdom in our time and in our place, seeing differently, with eyes like Jesus. Jesus sees the kingdom. Two weeks ago, when we were last in this teaching series, we reflected on how he does that through the story of the calling of Levi. While the religious leaders and so many in his own ethnic community see a sinner, a traitor, and someone to exclude, Jesus sees a future follower and someone to embrace. Jesus enters into uncomfortable spaces in order to extend radical acceptance. In God's kingdom, everyone is invited. Jesus sees Levi, and Jesus sees the kingdom. And today, we're reflecting on the way that Jesus sees the unseen. We're doing this by moving through a story of Jesus seeing and healing a sick woman who'd suffered with a condition which caused her to bleed for 12 long years. This story is actually found in three of the four Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, or the books that are collectively referred to as the Synoptic Gospels, which are all of the Gospel books except the book of John. It's such a treat when God gives us multiple accounts of the same story in the Scriptures, because what we're provided are different perspectives and contexts and or details from which to draw and see a fuller picture. Through the uniqueness of each author's sharing, there's something unique that God has for us through each personal rendering. This morning, we're going to center our time on the story provided by Matthew, his story of Jesus healing and seeing a sick and unseen woman. Now, in Matthew's gospel, this account actually follows the story of his own calling. Matthew, who's also referred to as Levi, has just heard the words, follow me by Jesus. And what happens next? Well, he and Jesus go to his very own home. Matthew throws a great banquet for Jesus, and Jesus, who's the guest of honor, dines with those society considers dishonorable, these folks described as tax collectors and sinners. Jesus dines with outsiders. Sharing a table in the ancient Near East conveys sharing welcome and inclusion. And Jesus' welcoming and inclusive actions evoke questions from the Pharisees about the company that Jesus keeps. And, as well, the scene evokes questions from the disciples of John the Baptist about why Jesus' followers don't fast. Jesus responds symbolically 
talking about the sick being the ones needing doctors, and he conveys to the Pharisees who he's come for. And he responds parabolically, talking about the joyful presence of the bridegroom and unstrung cloth on old garments and new wine in old wineskins. And he does this as he illustrates to John's followers why his own followers don't fast. Jesus illuminates the new thing he's doing and ushering in. He's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, as Matthew 5.17 tells us. Jesus comes to fulfill the law by offering and being God's grace, incarnate. Our passage today picks up right here, in the midst of this setting and this conversation about what's required to usher in this new thing the kingdom of God. So let's jump right on in. You're welcome to follow along with today's passage using your own hard copy or digital copy of the scriptures. And so let's make our way together to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18. While he, Jesus, was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. So, as Jesus talks about the incompatibility of the old way of doing things alongside the new way of the kingdom, while he's saying this, a synagogue leader comes and tells Jesus that his daughter has just died. In Luke and Mark's accounts, the leader actually says to Jesus that his daughter is dying. Theologians have surmised that messengers tell him the tragic news of his daughter's passing in this very moment. The leader, on his knees, beseeches Jesus' help. Luke and Mark let us know that the synagogue leader falls at Jesus' feet and pleads for him to intervene. That's heartbreaking. Unlike so many of the other religious leaders, this leader doesn't come to judge or question or accuse Jesus. Rather, he earnestly and faithfully comes before Jesus because he believes in and desires to call upon the healing hand of the Messiah, the doctor who's come to heal the spiritually and physically sick. He comes in faith during this very raw and difficult moment to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. Jesus sees the humanity of the synagogue leader. He sees him for who he is, not just some two-dimensional person, not just another Pharisee there to judge him. This person of influence and stature, he's also, and more importantly, a father, a father who just lost his daughter. Jesus sees the religious leader and he graciously responds to this interruption, if you will, by taking off to head to his home where his deceased daughter lay. So, off go the leader and Jesus and Jesus' disciples, including the freshly minted follower Matthew, off to the leader's house. However, it wouldn't be an unobstructed trip. You see, by now, Jesus' popularity has skyrocketed so much that he can't go anywhere without drawing a crowd. He's surrounded by throngs of people as he makes his way to the religious leader's house. And 
in fact, we're made aware from the other accounts that Jesus is almost crushed by them. Now, with the pandemic and all, it might take some digging back in your memory to recall being in a massive, dense crowd, if you've ever had that experience. Maybe it was at a concert or at Disneyland. Or hey, has anyone ever been to Levi's Stadium when it's at full capacity? The walkways and communal places there are like way too small to accommodate a full capacity crowd. I went to a soccer game there early on when it first opened, and it was like all I could do to shuffle slowly from my seat to the concession stand and then back to my seat just to attempt to get a snack, which by the way was a total fail because the line was way too long. Well, anyway, imagine being pressed in on all sides by a crowd of people, or if you've experienced that, remember back to the time that that happened. Okay, with that in mind, let's go back to our passage and continue on, starting in verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. As I reflect on my own experience moving through a crowd, I try to imagine the countless people that touched Jesus and his clothes, and all that was going on around him. And what's more, I imagine the disciples and also, and especially the religious leader whose daughter just passed, I imagine that all of them are at least feeling the pull, if not also stating the desire to get going to the religious leader's house. With earnest desperation, I imagine that they felt this way. There's so much busyness going on in that moment, and so much to move towards beyond that moment. Yet, Jesus stops and turns and sees the person who touched his cloak. He sees an unseen woman. Under Old Testament law, places, animals, and people could be considered unclean. And the woman the woman who touched Jesus' cloak was subjected to this humiliating classification due to her bleeding condition. The consequences were massive. The ceremonially unclean were separated from worship in the temple. They were shunned by others. People avoided contact with them because any person or anything that they touched was made unclean as well. This community was ostracized and marginalized. And so it was for this woman who, for years, suffered not only physically, but also religiously, socially, and emotionally. She lived in the shadows, and it was in the shadows that she hoped to remain as she reached for Jesus' clothes, just catching the edge of his cloak as he passes by. She likely wasn't expecting to be seen by Jesus, but there she was beheld by him. Verse 22 tells us that as Jesus sees her, he says, Take heart. Take heart, Jesus says. And he calms her fears tenderly. 
And Jesus says, take heart, daughter. And he enfolds her relationally, socially, and lovingly. Jesus says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. While the woman thought that touching Jesus' cloak would heal her, it was her faith that set her free. Jesus made this so, and he proclaims it. While this woman, seen by others, due to her protracted agonizing physical condition, was unseen, she touched the edge of Jesus' garment in the thick of a crowd and was lovingly seen and healed and restored by Jesus in every way. And verse 22 tells us, And the woman was healed at that moment, right then and there, at that moment. Jesus sees the unseen by being aware. The Messiah, surrounded by a crowd on his way to do something very important, is aware by seeing what is right before him, while not losing sight of what is further ahead of him. So, ever since I was in high school, I've needed corrective eyewear for nearsightedness. Being nearsighted, I see nearby objects clearly, but things that are further away are blurry. However, about five years ago, it also became increasingly difficult for me to see things that are close up, like words on the pages of a book, for example. So, like the nearby things which I saw so clearly my entire life started looking blurry because, you know, the natural aging process. And so my optometrist suggested back then that I get multifocal glasses. If you're not already familiar, each lens in these types of glasses actually has two prescriptions, one across the top and another across the bottom. And this enables people like me to see things that are far as well as things that are close up well. I fought getting those glasses for at least a year. I had no good reason to think this, but I figured they'd be a literal headache and somehow limiting because I'd have to look up to access one prescription and look down to access another. But you know, over time, I just had to give in because I couldn't see stuff clearly in front of me in the early morning and late at night, which is when I typically wear glasses. So I eventually gave in and got these multifocal glasses like a full year after I was advised to get them. And you know what? They're awesome. I wish I wouldn't have waited so long to get them. Please bear, bear with me for stating the obvious, but I just have to say that, especially when I first got them, it was like tremendous to clearly see not only stuff that's far from me, but to see what's in front of me clearly as well. Living life singularly focused on whatever is ahead, that priority, that plan, that schedule, or even that person, focusing on what's ahead can result in missing what's right in front of us. Sort of like me wearing single vision glasses five years ago. They only served to help me see what was far, yet did nothing for helping me see what was near. Being aware of and attuned to the invitations God has for us in the moment can be difficult if our focus is only beyond the moment. Now, this isn't to say that what's beyond the moment isn't also important and spirit-led and something to press into in its due time. 
As we continue on in today's passage, we see that after healing the sick woman, Jesus went on to the synagogue leader's house and there took the leader's daughter by the hand and healed her. What a kingdom moment that was. But before that, Jesus sees and enters into a kingdom moment right in front of him. He's fully aware and fully present to this need that's right in front of him, without losing sight of and in time being present to what he's called to do beyond that moment as well. So, seeing both what's before us and not losing sight of what's beyond us, or being aware by seeing with multifocal lenses, if it were, this is important to seeing the unseen in our midst. The unseen can be inherently difficult to even notice, and even more so to see well. Yet, Jesus does this. Jesus sees the unseen by being aware. Jesus also sees the unseen by living an interruptible life. The Messiah stopped and was present to the woman and healed the woman at that moment. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm so sorry, but let me circle back later because I'm on my way to do this other really important and urgent thing, even though he was, and it was. Rather, Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. And in fact, we saw him do this earlier when the religious leader came before him with a different real and urgent need. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm in the middle of a teaching moment and I'm talking about the kingdom of God here, so can I circle back with you when I'm done? (laughs) I laugh because I've totally done this. I've been this blind to what's in front of me. You know, I do it all the time. Jesus is present to the need in the now. He's present to the kingdom moments right before him. He's present to unanticipated people with unanticipated needs right then and there, at that moment. Jesus sees the unseen by being aware, and he sees the unseen by living an interruptible life. In the way that the gospel author Matthew places this story after his own calling, I think there's something very powerful about what's being communicated here, about what it looks like to press into our calling to follow Jesus. There are so many who are unseen today, and God's people are called to see each and every one of them by living with keen and intentional awareness and to allow ourselves to be interrupted just like Jesus. I was chatting with a highwayer who gave of her time during the thick of the pandemic to provide free tutoring to children who live in vehicles with their families. As difficult as remote learning has been for kids with reliable access to electronics and the internet, it's immeasurably more difficult for students who live without those things and who, by the way, are already significantly academically behind. The children tutored by this highwayer received the gift of learning and the much-needed gift of getting back on track or getting closer to being back on track at school, which hopefully will be a part of what allows those kids to continue to stay on track, which hopefully will in turn be a part of the building of self-confidence and be building blocks for even more skills, which hopefully 
are a part of lives freed from the thick chains of systemic poverty. All because someone was aware and stopped and cared and allowed herself and her agenda to be interrupted at that moment. This highwayer was aware of an important need right in front of her, the educational needs of overlooked kids who live right here. And what's more, she carved out time to do something about it right away in the early days of the pandemic, when the inclination for so many was to understandably turn inwards and press into self-preservation. In the first academic year of the pandemic, for 10 months, starting in August, she did something to be a part of God's inverted kingdom so that there could be healing at that moment. That's seeing the unseen well. That's seeing the unseen like Jesus. There are all sorts of barriers which make it difficult to see others well and living aware and interruptible lives. And so, as we close out our time together, I invite you to consider what may stand in the way of awareness and interruptibility for you. So many things can work against awareness. Barriers such as feeling overwhelmed by heartache or the sheer magnitude of an issue, that can be really hard. Another mass shooting, the realities of racism, a deep personal loss of a loved one, a significant milestone missed because of COVID. It can almost feel like more than our hearts and minds can handle. Or perhaps the painful realities experienced by others Perhaps they miss our radar altogether for any number of reasons. Awareness can be hard, and it can be hard to see the unseen, if even at all. What might be standing in the way of awareness for you? What's making it difficult to see the unseen for you? It's okay, and it's even good if awareness feels hard because noticing that is important to growing in awareness. That, in and of itself, is something important coming into view, like realizing that maybe it's time for multifocal glasses. Who is God inviting you to see? Perhaps in your neighborhood, school, workplace, and beyond. Who lives in the shadows around you? Who's touching the edge of your cloak? At Highway, there are opportunities to grow in awareness of the unseen and the day-to-day realities and challenges of the unseen. Between racial justice and missional book groups, serving alongside ministry partners who are embedded in the communities that they serve, and more. Here at Highway, we desire to be aware of needs and opportunities to come under what God's doing within and among those in our very midst together. You can go to our website, highway.org, and inquire about details, and you can find out more information there as well. This is a place to step in. We invite you to step in and grow in awareness alongside your church family. Awareness is important. However, Jesus shows us that awareness isn't enough. 
Christ's followers are called to do something about the brokenness of which we're aware by living interruptible lives. What might be giving you pause or making it difficult for you to live interruptibly? Maybe it's hard because you're in a difficult place of sorrow or stress. What could it look like to step into a place of healing and restoration? And perhaps, might that path to healing possibly now or possibly later include being among the unseen and encountering Jesus through them? Maybe interruptibility is difficult because life is overscheduled or finances or agendas are held too tightly because of unhealthy attachment to things like control or image or a specific outcome or something else. What might it look like to experience freedom from those things? And what might it look like to actually embrace interruptions, to actively seek those out? What may stand in the way of stopping and leaning in to what God's made you aware of in order to partner with him in the need in the now so there can be healing, redemption, and restoration at this moment. Highway family, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we live aware and interruptible lives in order to embrace God's kingdom invitations in our very midst in order to see the unseen with eyes like Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, thank you for seeing us and for sending your son Jesus to us and for us. Thank you for the ways your love is manifest through him and that we get to not only receive that love, but, but to learn how to extend that same love to those around us through the example of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we want to have eyes to see like Jesus. Would you remove the barriers that prevent us from doing that well? In Jesus' name, may your people, may your church, Be aware of the unseen in our midst, and may our agendas be yours, and may we live interruptible and open-handed lives in order for your kingdom to come to earth, just like it is in heaven. Meet us and move us, for it's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.